Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. It's gonna be a good morning. Before we go in, just close your eyes, raise your hands, even if you're not used to doing that. Because what I've found is if I stay in the same place, I'll stay the same. God, before we do anything, we ask for you to move. We don't wanna run out ahead of you. And we don't wanna stay where we are. We didn't come to check a box. We didn't come to do a service. We came to encounter you. and. Just for a few seconds, we make everything else quiet so we can hear from you. God, we know that your word says you're with us and you're for us, so in your house, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to put on our Sunday best. We don't have to pretend that if we do right or get right or behave some way, somehow like a genie in a bottle, you're gonna show up this morning. Your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, so we already know you're here. Your word says when two or more are gathered, you're with us, so we know that you're here. And what good news that is on a Sunday that we can come to a place, gather together under the name of Jesus, and make ourselves available for you. So God, we love you. Do what you wanna do this morning. We know you don't wanna just copy and paste and repeat something that's happened before you wanna do something new. So we believe and amen your will and the church said amen. Come on, you can be seated, worship team. Actually, I have a word for you. What's your name? Tammy, can I hold your hand? Tammy, I just felt like God was saying in this season to be still. And sometimes it can feel like if we stop, everything will die. Like you've been trying to swim and not drown, but what I heard him say is peace, be still. He said, he's gonna do something this season as you lie down. Something's gonna change that's felt threatening and overwhelming, like, like the wind and the waves would overtake you, but he is going to, why you lie in green pastures make a way. And I see it's gonna be the settling of something that's been full of anxiety and fear. He's bringing peace to you. And you don't have to do anything. Somehow the enemy convinced you that if you didn't do it on your own, you didn't deserve it. But God said, that's not how I see my daughter. I'm going to do something for you in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a word for one other person and you have the most intimidating beard in the room and you probably hate that I'm calling you out, but this handsome man right here, is this your wife you're sitting next to? You right here? Yeah, yeah. Can we stretch our hands out to this family? Is it okay if we pray for you? Yeah, what, what, I, what I heard the Lord say is, is especially for you, sir, that there is a door that's been locked for everybody else and you're the key to open it. And, and there's been a tendency in your past because of what you've been through to, to hide in the back because it felt like showboating. It felt like to be in front 
it was like glamour seeking, but God said, he didn't create you to be hidden under a basket. You're the key to this door and you're also the light to that room. And so it may feel like a stretch, but what I see in this season for you is you're gonna step into and open something for an entire generation. And even, even for a cul-de-sac, even, even for a community, you are, the, you are the key to unlocking that freedom and that hope, and you're gonna be the light that shines bright. So God, I thank you for the favor and the courage that's on this man. I thank you for the anointing that you've put on his shoulders. And I thank you that although it can be uncomfortable to step out, he's not stepping off a cliff, but into your favor. It's a shield around him and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this time you can actually be dismissed. Thank you, worship team. What an incredible, incredible presence. Well, yeah, let's go. How many people have never heard me speak before? Should be all of you because I've never been here. What's that? Podcast, maybe, yeah. There's a lot of good podcasts. You probably skipped over mine. I'm excited to be here. Um, it honestly doesn't really make any sense that I preaching at a campus in Salt Lake. Like, if you would have seen my life and what I've done and the mistakes I've made and the things I've blown up and the train wreck that, I, that was Mike Finn, to ever think that I would be entrusted in a church to steward anything is miraculous. Never mind to be speaking to a church. And I just want to, for one minute, you may maybe new here, but one of the things that we do as a church is honor. And it's not, we don't do it out of ritual or routine, but what, what your campus pastors have done here is remarkable. And I just want to honor the Tuggles for what you guys have sown into this city, what you've sown into this church, what you've sown into this community. It, it is not easy to pick up and move to another city and start a church. That is a very hard thing to do. So I just want to say thank you for your friendship, but also you inspire us. And you inspire all the churches in San Diego because of how beautiful and how committed you've been here. And also to Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. For, for those of you guys who don't know, our campus, or I'm sorry, our senior pastors, they are, I, I, I cannot even think of a business person that's as brave or as fearless or as um, inspiring as them. I mean, we, we just heard last year, so we have six campuses. There were 110 people who preached in our campuses. For those of you who don't understand that, most churches have one speaker. And Pastor Jurgen and Leanne are so good, it literally could just be them all of the time. But he's decided to say, I will call out the best in my church and I will raise up leader after leader after leader <laughs> to have 110 different people preach. There's only 52 weekends. That's, that's, that's radical trust. And I just want to honor them for what they do for our cities and that they can, they could have stopped at four campuses. They could have stopped at five campuses. They could have stopped a hundred times that they keep saying, I will go because God's given them a mission and a calling. And it's, it's one of the greatest honors to serve under them and be a part of something that they're doing. But we're here for freedom. Amen. How many people have never been to a freedom weekend or service ever? Yeah, good, welcome. You're just like me. I, I walked in this church and had no idea half the things they were talking about. <laughs> I had never read the Bible. I didn't believe in God. And so there was a lot of Christianese vocabulary where I was just like, 
what does that mean? Speaking in tongues? Is that a disease? Like, what, <laughs> what does that mean? The first connect group I went to, there were a bunch of girls praying in tongues, and I was like, I joined a cult. <laughs> but what, what I want to do on Freedom Weekend is, is try to strip away some of the stigma that might even be around the word freedom. And what, what at this church, what we'll do often is we teach about deliverance, about getting free from bondage, about soul ties, and, and all of that's good. It's not good, right? You don't want any of that. It's good that we talk about it. It's not good to have it. But what I felt compelled to talk about today was less the tactics of the enemy and more the power of Christ. Because what I believe we're called to do is more than just be on defense as Christians and just be like, okay, well, if I could look under the rock or around the corner or in the shadow, there's some boogeyman enemy who's trying to, and if I don't continually get deliverance, it's like, no. We have more authority than the devil. He's already lost, and in the name of Jesus, you have power and freedom in him. So what, what I want to speak on today is the freedom that is in Christ. One of the most beautiful things that Christ has given us is the freedom to, cho to choose, the freedom of choice. He doesn't force his relationship on us. He gives us an option, even, even back in the original in the garden, there's, there's a choice that Adam and Eve had to make. And there's a choice when we come to church every Sunday to decide to choose him or to not choose him. And, and that's a very beautiful, empowering thing. There's freedom in what he's done. And when I came to this church, I chose Christ for the first time in my life. I was almost 31 years old. And honestly, if I knew what I was doing, I probably wouldn't have done it. Like, I didn't even understand what salvation meant. They said altar call, I was like, huh? What, what does that mean? But they asked me if, if I would raise my hand and respond to God. And I just knew that I needed him in that moment. And, and it's one of the most beautiful moments in my life that I had the freedom to say, I choose you. Because what I had been told is that I had to get clean. I had to get right. I had to, I had to earn my way into a relationship with him. And the most beautiful thing is he says, I chose you. So now you don't have to do any of that. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've, how many people you've hurt, how many things you've racked up on your naughty list, for lack of a better term. Jesus does not need you to fix that before you choose him. And that is incredible freedom. There's a lot of religious suffocation behind trying to undo your past and your mistakes to feel worthy enough to be here. And Jesus said, I've smashed all of that so you have the freedom to come to me. The other thing I love about Jesus and about church is that we have the freedom to continually choose him. It, what, what he'll say is that despite what happened last week, despite the fight you got in with your wife, despite the failure in your business, despite the deal you thought you were gonna close, despite the, the, the baby you were believing for that it hasn't happened, you continually have the choice to choose me. Just because you did it once, you're not stuck here. And it's, it's different than my mindset that I had around religion is that at any point, he's gonna offer his grace his restoration, his healing, his love. Even if I came to him once and screwed up, that doesn't disqualify him. But like for me as a parent, 
I get more irritated my, every time my kid comes back after I had given him grace. And I'm like, okay, this is like the third time you've done this, bro. No more. All your toys are taken away. But Jesus is better than that, thank God. Anytime I've screwed up, I can come back to him. And that's beautiful freedom. So what, what I want to talk to us about is given that freedom, knowing that we have the ability to choose, and we're about to start a year. You've come out of shredder. You've come out of vision. What, what I believe God is setting you up for, and I know he is for Rachel and I, is that we have a choice this year to give up on something or to go again. To, to, to say, okay, well, last year didn't quite work out this way, Jesus. And I showed up at men's prayer and we put our name in the book of miracles and, and we tithed and we served and we did all these things that were supposed to get us the thing and it hasn't come yet. And so in 2023, God, well, am I gonna walk away from that or am I gonna keep going for it? So the title of my message today is Go Again. Go Again. The first point of my message is go again. You'll see there's a theme. We're going to start off here in Luke. This is Luke 5. Jesus sat down and taught the people from his boat. When he had finished, he said to Peter, now row out to the deep, cast your nets, and you will have a great catch. That's the word. It's the word of the Lord. Listen to Peter's response. He says, master, we've just come back from fishing all night, and we did not catch a thing. Anyone been there before? Only three people? Everyone else always catches something. <laughs> Not true. Uh, for me, I've been there countless times, saved and unsaved, where, where I did all the things that even I was good at. Like, these guys are fishermen. It's not like they chartered a fishing boat and caught nothing. That would make sense. But if your job, your livelihood, your whole life is to be a fisherman and you catch nothing, that's failure. My job, I have a degree in economics, I do commercial real estate. If I can't do a deal, that's not because I'm not good at it, it's because I failed. And so think about the, the cost, the penalty, the weight, the shame, the fear that would come from the thing you're really good at, that you've done your whole life, produce nothing. But listen to Peter's response though, it's, it's, it's Compelling to me, it's convicting to me. He says to Jesus, but if you insist, we will go again, let down our nets because of your word. There's a lot in there to unpack, but I love his responses. If you said it, I'll do it. At your word, I will go again. His word is, I will produce something if you don't give up. Now, what I like to try to do in these stories, because they can almost become childlike, right? It, David and Goliath is this goofy cartoon or, you know, whatever you look at it, it almost becomes powerless because we take away how real that story is. But imagine if you're the fisherman. Like to me, I'm on the boat and a carpenter's telling me how to fish. Like, bro, what are you talking about? You don't know me. You build tables. Like, how do you have anything to say about what I'm doing? And that, I'm being, you know, cheeky on purpose, but, but how often do we respond to God like that? 
Like, wait a second, how can you say for me to do something that I've already tried countless times? I mean, the fishermen know the shorelines. They grew up there. They know where the fish go. They know the tides. They know the wind. They know the waves. They know every pocket of where the fish are. And surely they tried it all because they caught nothing. And Jesus, some carpenter that they barely know, is telling them, go again. The difference, the only difference there is they don't see him as a carpenter. They see him as Lord, as Savior, as Master. And they, they see his word as the word of the Lord. And I wonder how many times can we discount what we were told and bring his word down to a carpenter level? How, how often can we go, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't say it. Maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he's not trustworthy. Maybe he's not faithful. But if you see him as Lord and your savior, you can say at your word, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I'm tired, even if I'm disappointed, even if I'm frustrated, even if I feel like a failure, I'll go again. It's fascinating and, and again, convicting to me that despite their experiences and their knowledge, they trusted God. They hadn't seen Jesus multiply fish before. Like it would be a lot easier if they're like, oh, that's the guy that brings all the fish. Yeah, 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 we'll go again. It had never happened. There was no precedent for them to trust that this guy could make something out of nothing. But they did it anyways. They went again at his word. And, and what, what Jesus was really doing is offering them a choice like we have today. He's saying, you have freedom. You have the freedom to throw the net back in or not. Do you, wanna, do you want something or not? How bad do you want what you came out here for? It's a choice of freedom to say, I'll trust you over circumstances. I'll trust you over my experiences. I'll trust you over the thing that I can only see, which is there's nothing. And what I love in Luke later on, in Luke 137, it says, for the word of God will never fail. And this is clearly what the disciples had figured out, is that if I can stand on his word, then it will come true. I can stand on circumstance or I can stand on his word. And they responded in faith. Amen. Is that good? Doesn't matter if it's not, I'm here. And we have 21 more minutes. Point number two is go again. So this is Jesus and the fishermen again. This is John 21.3. Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. He told them and they said, heck, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What, what's beautiful to me about the parallels in this story is these guys had been with Jesus and can still see failure. Because it can be discouraging to come to church and be close to God and see him move, but then go out and step into something again and there was no, there was no, nothing to show. There was nothing. I mean, how discouraging must that be? Look at Jesus' response. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I mean, there's a lot in that too. I mean, how many times is Jesus close to us and we don't realize it? Because what they should have learned last time is if they fish without Jesus, they catch nothing. 
But here they are, fishing without Jesus. I've done that a lot. I'm not pretending I know more than the disciples. He calls out to them, he says, friends, haven't you any fish? I don't know about you, but for me, Jesus has a lot of sarcasm. Because he knows the answer. Like, to me, he, he said that teasingly. Like, hey, boys, you fishing without me? How's that going? How's that working for you? Um, their response is something we can learn from. They said no. But how many churches do we show up at, people show up at church and they pretend the answer is yes? Like, no, 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 Jesus, like, we're good. Yeah, 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 we, I won't raise my hand. We don't need a miracle. Or, you know what, we're, I'm going to stay in my seat. We'll, altar calls are for newbies. But, like, do you need something from him? He's asking you this morning, will you respond to me? Have you caught anything? Do you need me? Is there anything that you need me to do in your life? And here's his instructions. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Here he's saying some. It's so much they can't even bring it in the boat. What I like to do here in this story, again, is look at parallels. Like imagine the grace it takes Jesus to show back up and deal with these guys. Like they have abandoned him. They've denied him. They betrayed him. To me, that's plenty to just go, yeah, they caught nothing. I'm going to go find another 12. Because that's how I feel. If I screw up and deny Jesus and blow something, start to look at something I shouldn't have, start to get angry about something, start to fall off and have a failure, it's really easy for me to think that Jesus won't want me to come back to him. But Jesus offers them the opportunity, the choice, the grace, the love, the provision to restore something he had already restored. And to me, that's beautiful. And think about the disciples. Think about how much shame it must have been when they recognized it. It was him. Hold on, wait. I mean, did he hear what we said? Does he know how many times I denied him? I mean, for them to go again is bold. For them to say, okay, uh, despite my shame, despite my fear, despite my pride, despite all of the disappointment that I not only couldn't catch fish once, I can't catch fish twice, and I got to come back to Jesus. But they trusted him. They went again, and, and the promise that I believe God has for us in this story is if you'll go again, he'll go again. If you'll go again, he'll go again. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, this is not a genie in a bottle. There's not three times and your wishes are out. His grace, his goodness, his mercy continually is available for us. Now, we talk about in church, it's kind of this Christianese thing. We say, like, get a word. Get a word for this year. It's going to be inspire. I don't know. This is not the same word that these guys were responding to. They heard something different. They heard the word of the Lord. And, and my challenge to us this morning is, what is he saying to you for this year? What word in his book are you standing on? Not, not, not what word did Ted, Tony Robbins or somebody in, you know, drop out there like boss mode. That's not a word to stand on. 
One of the words that, that Rachel and I stood on when we were trying for our children was, we would have lost hope had we not believed we'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we said that over and over and over and over and over and over again, in tears, in prayer, constantly until we saw his goodness. That's the difference of getting a word that you can stand on and just standing on a feeling. The Bible says, a man who hears his word, the word of the Lord, and puts it into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rain can come down, the streams can rise, the wind blow and beat against the house, but it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. Get a word this year that's rock solid. Get a word from God that despite no matter what you feel, you can go again on. Amen? Point number three, guess what it is? Go again. I'm not being lazy. To me, what God was saying is it's that simple. You don't need three different points. Sometimes one word from God can be all you need to step out into something. Now, what, what I'm aware of is that I'm effectively a stranger to you. I mean, I go to another church in another city that happens to be called the same name as yours, but you could very easily do what the disciples could have done is, who are you? You don't, Mike, you don't know me. You don't know how hard my year was last year. You don't know what I've been through. You show up in your skinny jeans and your hair is way too much product in it. And, you know, it's easy to kind of fly in and drop a snazzy word. And if I'm being honest, as a people pleaser, like I wanna be liked. I wanna give words that people are like, my great word, you know? But that's not what I'm called to do. And that's, uh, Pastor Matt had actually given me a pass. He said, hey, I know you're coming to visit and I'd love to have you preach, but you're on vacation with your family. And if you don't want to, no worries. And there was a minute where I took, almost took that out because the snow was good and I was gonna go again. But what I felt like God challenged me is I have something that I've put in you and that I've done in you. And if you don't share it, then nothing will change. And so my, my next point is effectively just my testimony. Because God's like, you don't have to come out here with deep revelation or convince people of theology things. Just share with them what I did in you. So, uh, being honest, being in Salt Lake has actually been really difficult for me, really emotional. I grew up in a ski family. So my parents actually met skiing in the singles line, which is pretty funny. My dad just chased um, my mom down the, single, down the slope, saw her, and then like scooted in on her chair. Had, I mean, it's like, it's pretty wise. I mean, she can't go anywhere. <laughs> kind of stuck unless you really are brave. And they end up skiing all day. And his pickup line, I don't know if this will work any longer, but he said, I'll buy you dinner if you cook it. It's a bold move. I'm like inviting myself over. I mean, if it works, give Bob Finn credit. But um, so they, they ended up getting married and they got married on the top of that same mountain. The run was called Jaws of Death, which sounds like a terrible name for a run. But, and then their honeymoon was they, they packed up all their stuff and they moved to Mammoth to be ski instructors. And so that's where I was born. I was this little ski rat. And, and why it's difficult to be here um, 
is the last time I was here was the last time I skied with my mom. And so it's been, it's been beautiful to have my kids here and watch them ski. And, but it's also been challenging. And it, I think it's a God thing that this is the first time I've been back. And I get to talk about her and share my story. But when my mom died, she, just, she died of this very disgusting disease called ALS. And what ALS does, it basically paralyzes your body slowly. And so that was what she kept falling at Park City. And she's like, she's an amazing skier. And so they're like, well, what? There must be something wrong. And then she fell walking out of the house and took the doctors months to diagnose her. And we didn't even know what that was. I'd never even heard of Lou Gehrig's disease. And my mom went from this beautiful fit athlete of a woman to being in a wheelchair in like six months. And I'm the oldest of three boys. And I think I was 17 at the time. And here's my mom who takes care of us and cooks for us. And she can't even lift her arms. And eventually she couldn't even speak. She lost the power in her lungs to articulate words, which is probably the most disgusting thing about this is you're, you're totally fine in your mind, but you're paralyzed and trapped in a body. And eventually it took her life. Um, it's a terminal disease. And, and that, I remember being at home when she died. Um, and it, it, it broke my heart. You know, I, I wanted so much to spend so much more of my life with my mom. And in that time, I was dating a girl who I had, I had loved. I thought it was the girl I was going to marry. I was a naive 17-year-old. Um, but it was, it was somebody I had, I had given my virginity to, as weird as that is to say in church. I didn't know any better. And then she cheated on me with my friend. And then two years later, my best friend, who was a friend I'd known the longest in my life, his name was Joe Kane. We had just gone surfing. We went out to a bar. We had some drinks. We wrote down the vision and the plan for the company we were going to start. The next day, Joe goes out and plays basketball and dies. And I start to see a pattern in my life. And the enemy takes a grip of my heart and says, this is what you will deal with the rest of your life. Everyone will leave you. No one loves you. And you're going to deal with hurt the rest of your life. And so that spun me into what is easy to do in the world when you have a few dollars and you're wearing the, willing to wear like a deep V-neck is go to a nightclub and someone's gonna smile at you. And that's where I found my love. That's where I found my acceptance. That's where I found some bit of pause from the pain. And so I spent 10, 15 years in nightclubs and finding someone, some woman who would just smile at me for a minute, that would make me not feel the pain that I was going through. And that trap, that twisted, that, that torment for 10 years put me in a really bad place. And then I went to Disneyland. <laughs> and I meet this girl named Rachel. And she's different than every girl I've ever met. She grew up in church. She's a pastor's daughter. She shines so bright in every room. And I instantly am like, Recklessly, that's the girl I'm going to marry, I said when she walked into my store. She had a boyfriend, so that was, you know, I kicked him out of the way. It was the hair. Yeah. It was not. I had some bad hair back there. Joe keeps reminding me. It was the V-neck, probably. It was very deep. American Apparel had these deep V-necks. I don't know why they made them. 
I shouldn't have worn them is the reality. Anyways, I meet this girl, and, and I basically fall in love with her straight away, but neither of us are in church. I don't even know what church is at that point, and we instantly move in together because in Southern California, that's what you do. You, it's rent's expensive. This is, you know, you're test driving it. I don't know. It, it's worthless as a concept, but everybody does it who's not in church because they think this is a way of dating. What's ridiculous about this situation is Rachel has waited her whole life. She's saved her virginity. We are living together in the same bed for four years, sleeping together, but not sleeping together. It's like literally the worst concoction strategy you could have ever put together. Like we're pretending we're married, but we're not getting the benefits of being married. I don't even know what we were doing. It was so dumb. Rachel realized that. I didn't, and she started to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit that you need to come back home. You need to come back to God. And she, we were starting to not get along because of this tension, and we started going to counseling. And in a Christian counseling office, I said, I will never go to church. Look at me now. I'm at church a lot. But rightfully so, she packed up and left took all the furniture. I had like a chair. <laughs> it was your furniture. But I start to repeat this cycle that everyone you love is going to leave you. And for some reason, our neighbor invited me to church. And it was a room just like this. And I don't know why I said yes. And again, if I would have known what the altar call meant, I probably wouldn't have raised my hand. I felt like it was like sneaky Jesus. Like they, like they tricked me into it. But I responded that day. I made that choice, that first choice, that Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. And I need you. And I've caught nothing for 31 years. And so I'm gonna trust your word. Now, I, I wish that I could tell you that everything was fixed that Sunday. Like all the pain went away all the hurt, all the mess, all the things that I carried in were instantly healed. But honestly, the t since the 12 years since we've been in church, we've had to walk through even harder things. And this is the fun part of my message that I know I'm supposed to share, but I never wanna share, is after Rachel came back to church, we started dating again, I still was broken. And I had not fixed the thing that had been breaking every relationship that I had been in. So Rachel and I get engaged, we set a wedding date, and I'm not getting fulfilled by her, so I find somebody else. And this girl just got cheated on by her husband in church. And we start trauma bonding, thinking it's God's divine hand, and start to have an emotional affair. All the way up to the day of our wedding day, I'm in communication with this girl. And we're talking about whether or not I should, not, I should run away with her. No one knows this. My pastors don't know this. Rachel doesn't know this. My family doesn't know this. And I'm honestly so scared that I don't know what to do. I just show up and get married. And then we go have our honeymoon and this beautiful woman who's waited her whole life to share that moment with me. We then get home and she finds the emails and the text messages. And it shatters everything. It shatters our foundation, our marriage. It train wrecked all the things that we had been working so hard for. We almost got divorced that year. We took all of our honeymoon money, probably 20 grand and dumped it into counseling. 
I was going two to three times a week to AA meetings and two or three times a week to counseling with my wife just to fight to stay married. And it was, it, it was not producing fruit. That same year, we start getting notices from the IRS because conveniently I left out of our vows that I had like 100K in IRS debt. So here's this woman now having to not only deal with my infidelity and my fear and my brokenness, but also my mistakes. And they're threatening. I mean, the IRS does not call and ask you how you're doing. You know, they're not like, oh yeah, is this a good time? It's pretty, it's pretty haunting to go to the mailbox and wonder what letter you're gonna get from them. We had a surprise layoff. Again, I, I, had a, I have a career in commercial real estate and I have a degree. I mean, this is something I'm good at. And I walk into a meeting thinking I'm gonna get my bonus from the profits we just hit. And we lay off 50% of our staff, which includes me. Six figure salary gone, no money, no notice. We had severe health scares in our family and giant hospital bills. We fight through some of that and then we decide, you know what, we're, we're ready to have kids. It's, we're a little old, but we're in great health. Like let's, we believe we can have kids. Yeah, cancel, you're not old, you're beautiful and young. I'm old, no. And we, we, we see no reason that we can't have kids, but we try, get pregnant right away, but then we have a miscarriage. Six months go by, try again, get pregnant, have another miscarriage. We're like, what the heck is happening? We, we've been out all night. We've been, we've been doing all the things we're supposed to do. Why is this happening? Six months later, get pregnant again, third miscarriage. And we start to get to a place where we have a choice to make. Will we go again? Will, will we fight for the thing that we believe for? Will we fight for our kids? Will we fight for our marriage? Will we fight for our finances? Will we fight for our peace? And team, if you're ready, I just want to show you a quick video.
That actually has nothing to do with my message. We're launching a fragrance company next month. Look, it, it's, it's honestly, for me, it's kind of cringy to show something like that. But what I felt like God wanted to say is if you go again, there is a miraculous catch. What that was is Rachel and I renewing our vows for our 10 year anniversary in front of our best friends, with our pastors, with our miracle children, after having just been promoted to president of my company, after just having bought our home in Carlsbad. It's complete and total restoration because of the goodness of God. Because if you'll go again, he'll do it again. If you won't give up on hope, if you won't give up on faith, if you'll try again, if you'll believe again, if you'll trust again, if you'll go again, he will move. And I, I, I believe I'm here to impart that to you. Because once you get it, it's not meant just for you. It's meant to get through you. And that's why despite being on vacation, despite honestly not wanting to share the pain that we've been through, I'd much rather though, to give God glory, share what he restores. Not put on a mask, not pretend we're all good, not do a little sermonette that you forget by tomorrow that made no impact, but to, but to impart something that will get you to go again. In Psalms 23, four, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You are not meant to stop in the valley. You're not meant to camp in the valley. You're not meant to settle in the valley. You're not meant to live in the valley and you are not meant to die in the valley. You are meant to get up and go again. Get through the valley and he is with you and he is for you and you can get through even the darkest valley. Proverbs 24 says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They go again. That's, that's what your city, your family, your work, your marriage, your kids, they need you to go again. And one, one thing I've learned that's really been the lesson of my life is that just because something's hard doesn't mean you quit. We talk about this a lot. We talk about choosing your hard. There really is no easy choice. Getting divorced was gonna be hard, but staying married was hard. Being broke was hard, but having money is hard. In the holidays I've learned being fat is hard. And I'm starting to learn that being skinny is hard. There's no easy way out, but there is a way that if you do it with God, it will be hard, but it will be worth it. Real quick, as we close, I just, there's two lies I wanna break because the only reason that you wouldn't go again is for one of these two reasons. The first is fear, fear that it will happen again. And I've had to deal with that many times, start a new business, well, what if I get laid off? Believe for this thing, well, what if it doesn't happen? Trust this person, well, what if they hurt you? The only reason you would not go again is for fear, but the Bible says you've not been given a spirit of fear. 
In Isaiah 41, he says, do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's a word that you can hang on to. That's a word that you can say, I'm stepping out and trusting you, God, not anybody else, and I'll go again. That will break fear over your life. The second is guilt, that somehow you think you deserve it. And that's the, that's the lie from the enemy, that you deserve the mess you're in. But the good news from the gospel is that we actually, through Jesus, get what we don't deserve. We deserved hell. We deserved the punishment for what we did, but he actually took it. He actually became the thing that I had done so I could receive what he was. And so do not let fear or shame lie to you any longer. Get up and go again. I'd like everyone to stand real quick. We're gonna close. We're gonna have some time for ministry. I just wanna pray over two groups of people real quick. And I'll make this as least Christianese as possible. If you wanna choose Jesus this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to do what I did. That's, it's as simple as that. Is that he's saying, I sent some guy from San Diego to say something to you, will you choose me? For the first time or maybe for the second time or maybe for the 10th time, you feel like you're not close to Jesus and you've, you've walked away. You've chosen something else. If that's you today with every eye closed, every head bowed, I wanna give you a choice real quick, an opportunity, super simple, to just shoot your hand up. It's that easy. Just say, today, Jesus, I wanna choose you. So on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on across this room. If you believe that today, super simply, you just wanna raise your hand and choose Jesus, I want you to, even if it's one hand, God didn't do this entire service so you could stay exactly where you are. He didn't put on a Sunday service so you could pretend that it's scary to raise your hand in a room where everybody loves you and actually is waiting to celebrate if you'll raise your hand. Is there anyone here that wants to go again? Anybody real quick that wants to raise their hand? see that hand. Even if it's one, I think we should give God a round of applause. It mattered when it was me, so I celebrate every hand that raised, and I know that heaven celebrates every time a hand is raised, and what I would encourage you to do is never get to a place where you cannot respond to God calling you to the altar. So the second thing quickly I want to do is if you have an area in your life where you want to go again, I want you to raise your hand, and we're going to pray with you. Come on, honestly, to me, it should be every hand in this room. To start off a new year and not have something that you want to go after, the enemy's already got you defeated. So God, I thank you that your spirit is an overcoming spirit. We thank you that it's your word. We will go again, God. And we thank you and trust that in the other side of stepping out, 
of trusting, of hoping, of believing. Again, we're meeting your faithfulness, and there is a miraculous catch in Salt Lake. God, we thank you for the favor of the Lord over this city, over this church, and over every family that is represented by every hand. God, we pray that it is your favor that surrounds us. It is your goodness that we will see in the land of the living. And everybody said, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.